to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am privileged to welcome uh, my next guest, who is the chief curator for the B&O Railroad Museum. Please welcome Jonathan Goldman. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be doing this. Excited to have you on here. And, um, you know, it's kind of like when I'm doing this sort of... Uh, pushed out scheduling because <laughs> I, I realized it's been on the calendar for a while and I was like, what am I talking to that guy again about the thing? <laughs> and I was like, oh, just today, you know, so we're here. And, you know, as we get started, um, I like to open up in a very general sense, so general, in fact, that I may have had the question written twice as you reminded <laughs> me uh, that uh, could you introduce yourself, your story, and ultimately, what got you into into like museum work? I, I can't think of any other way to say it. I'm like, docent work, historic, but like museum work. What brought you to museum work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I have one of those paths that seemed not straightforward looking forward at it, but when you look backwards, it kind of makes sense. Um, and I think the museum world attracts people who are just curious and follow their gut to do different things. Um, so I guess I actually studied abroad in China in high school, and I got to live with a family in Beijing, and I got really into Chinese studies from that. And so I just had this like big international cultural experience, and um, that just got me really curious about the world in a new way, I would say. So when I went to college, I actually studied um, Chinese studies and I went to Los Angeles to do that. And um, while I was there, they they had like a class share program at the design school in L.A. It's called Art Center. Um, and so I started like dabbling in classes there. And eventually I ended up going to both schools at the same time and like transferring credits both ways and whatever. So I uh, wound up studying art direction and became a designer through there. Um, but I double majored there. I also got a degree in design for social impact. Um, and through that sort of training at looking at um, how we can impact society through visual mediums and through visual communications, uh, that got me uh, like into the museum world through a fellowship at an art museum in Washington, D.C., which happened to be where I grew up. So it was like this great opportunity. Um, and so I worked at a museum there called the Art Museum of the Americas, which is a modern and contemporary Latin American and Caribbean art museum. Nice. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was the designer there and I was designing exhibits. I was designing the website, uh, I rebranding. Um, and it was part of this like international government. So it was just like this crazy cool experience that's sort of one of a kind and um and i felt like i was like getting into a world that was really interesting so i decided to get my master's at that point to focus on the museum world um and then that led me to another place called, at, called the inter-american development bank where i was the curator for their art collection and their exhibits and so, of course, what's the next logical step is to work at a railroad museum. <laughs> so <Sure. laughs> I went from Chinese to like Latin American contemporary art to uh, the birthplace of American railroading, which is the B&O Railroad Museum, uh, which doesn't seem straightforward. But I think um, my job as a curator is to interpret history and present it in a three dimensional environment through an experience where I'm sort of 
translating what happened into something people can understand, but not just what happened, but what was the impact of what happened and what, how is that relevant today? And so it's more about storytelling and being respectful of, of cultures and histories. Um, and so in a way, I think that does make sense. So yeah. I'm not a knowledge expert in railroading, though I've learned a whole lot um, in the last three years. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I'm going to continue to railroad you with questions. I got to continue the puns. I got to continue the puns. Uh, There's a lot of puns. Uh, yes, I, I think I've gone through the entire like pun book. Uh, there's a. I'm a ridiculous character, and um, one of the things I've been told by my partner, she makes fun of me because I add different things to what I do now. So you know, I'll I'll say a pun, and she's like, I'm, sh I'm sure you have more. I was like, no, 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 I'm done. She's like, you have like three more, I'm sure. I was like, all right. And it's almost like, ah, you know, I just throw it out there. And if I say something I feel really hits, I do mm -hmm. an air drum solo now. <laughs> that's that's the life that I'm living. I'm living a very fortunate life in that regard. So you, you touched on a little bit uh, about your, your view on what your role and what curation looks like. So I, I, I moved up the question because I think I want to hear more about the sort of like day to day. And ultimately, what is it about the BNO Railroad Museum that resonated with you? Well, so I guess for my day to day, I mean, I'm the chief curator there. So I, and it's not just the curating. Curating is just a main it's a main focus of my job but I, uh, I also supervise a couple departments there um the education department the archives and library the restoration department um and volunteers so um I really sort of have this ability to like see it as a holistic organism of like everything we're sort of doing as a museum that makes us a museum and hopefully making all the pieces sort of come together um so my day is I, you know, I wake up and I think I know what my day is going to be, but it's never like that. We have this huge 40 acre campus. We have all these amazing locomotives. We have all these things going on everywhere. We have seven buildings uh, operating railroad. So uh, and we're just doing a whole lot, making exhibits and, and working with the community. And so it's just, yeah, there's no typical day <laughs> for sure. So being a railroad museum is you know, one of those like landmarks, I, um, I believe, and I, th I think, I, I think when I was talking with Chris, I'd mentioned that, that my, um, I think either was a ring dance or my prom was there. So definitely it's been a, it's been a part of, you know, like my kind of history. You start thinking of those places, those times rather, and those mm -hmm. moments in your life where it's like, where was I at? What did I do in high school? One of those sort of periods being mm -hmm. on railroad is part of that, like memory and that history. Mm -hmm. Um, so with it, I'm always like kind of interested and I'd like some of the moves that have been happening over the last few years that I've been very like aware of and, and cognizant of. So, you know, if you will, could you tell us about like your latest ex exhibition that you've curated, uh, uh, the Underground Railroad of the um, Freedom Seekers of the on the BNO Railroad um, exhibit? Can you tell us about that? as I fumble through all of that. <laughs> um, it's the Underground Railroad uh, is the basic name. But um, so basically during COVID, uh, me and my colleague Anna, our archivist, started doing research on freedom seekers to see whether or not we could see if they came through um, our museum site or their relationship to the B&O Railroad. Um, we, we, got an idea that maybe this freedom seeker Henry Box Brown had come through our site. So we wanted to verify it. And so that's how it started. And um, 
basically we realized, you know, the B&O Railroad was the only rail connection between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore at the time. So any freedom seeker that used the train to move between those two cities would have come to our museum site here in Baltimore. Um, our, our site is the birthplace of American railroading. It's where the first railroad in the country um, was built. And the first station in the country was basically in our parking lot where when you come in. Um, and um, at this time, this there there was a train station called Mount Clare Station, yeah. uh, which is one of our buildings that still exists. It's pre-Civil War. And so uh, that would be the train station that these freedom seekers would have come through. So um, we spent a good amount of time researching this, and we have now found 27 freedom seekers that use the B&O Railroad on their journey to freedom, eight of which came through uh, Mount Clare Station. And through that research um, in 2021, the National Park Service actually designated us a National Underground Railroad Network to Freedom site. So we're really proud of that. And then that enabled us to then create this exhibit uh, through a reinterpretation of this train station, Mount Clare, yeah. uh, which is now the site of the exhibit. And it's also the site that's designated as this um, landmark. So uh, that's been a really exciting journey, and it, that just opened this past September. That's that's wonderful, and um, and and I love I love hearing about just some of the firsts, some of the um, connections to like, you know, like Baltimore. I go back to the conversation that I, I had with Chris, and you know, too often it's not a part of that conversation. The larger, like, hey, you know, we have the BNO Railroad Museum that has these firsts and these distinctions. So talk about, if you will, like, you know, ultimately the the vision the, or your inspiration for, for this being a permanent exhibit, right? And um, could you speak on the intention as well of the exhibition? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, overall on the whole campus in terms of our interpretation plan for it, I yeah. think we're really looking with the future vision of how can this site you know it's so, it's such an important landmark in baltimore i wish everybody would see it just be not because i work there but because it's actually really <laughs> cool and really fascinating and really just a unique space that everyone should be aware of and proud of in this city yeah. um, and it's truly unique you can't see something like this anywhere else and um i you know i think how do we build relevance and for and sort of pride for this city i think it's um it's it's connecting the dots of yes this history took place here but it's kind of like so what how is that relevant today and how do we show that um, our contemporary society is reflective of our history and we have it right here in our backyard so um, we're doing a lot of storytelling focused on um, people yeah. other than the technology and the technology stories are still there and they're very important but we're sort of adding more layers about how did this impact people throughout the last 200 years. And I've kind of been saying this a lot, but um, I think one way to think about the railroad is it kind of was like the internet of the 1800s. It was a technological network that radically changed society very, very quickly in a matter of a decade or two. And um, it reshaped, it standardized time, it triggered um, electronic communications. It People are going you know, across the country so fast you know, for them. Yeah. Uh, and and you know it just radically reshaped society um through this new technology and through this new network so i think it's like somebody 100 years from now or 200 years from now making the museum of the internet that's sort of my job so <laughs> then we can, like look at american history through the lens of this railroad and this network 
and how it impacted society throughout the last 200 years. So that's that's what we're really trying to do. Wow. I mean, there's the, you know, I, I didn't even think about it from the standpoint of time, of communication, of the, the impact that comes along with it. And I think it's very, um, I think it's very important to connect it to people, you know, and I think that was a really good intention there where, you know, if you know, we have these nameless, faceless people and it's like, oh, this these people did this and this is the thing about it. But I think when we're able to see a face, see a story, we're able to engage in to engage in engage with it in a different way to go deeper into it and even, you know, add to that sort of research that that we're doing. Um, I, you know. I, I did this, um, and I'm going to definitely check it out, obviously, but um, I had the opportunity to um, visit the Great Migration exhibit and, um, you know, at the um, the Baltimore Museum of Art. And um, I just remember when I, when I went there and, and, and I remember uh, Henry Box Brown, I, that, that, that was there. And I was like, all right, I now have questions. I now have things I want to research and dive further into. And that comes from not how was this made, how was this art made, but more so the people that were around it and the people that it's about, those are the things that really interest me, whether it's the artists, whether it's the curators, but also the subjects who mm -hmm. are depicted in some of the works that were there. And I imagine based on, you know, kind of what you were describing there a moment ago, yeah, I would have a very similar experience because, mm -hmm. you know, having 27 like individuals whose stories are being featured, right? So, how how was it? Because I would imagine you you touched on a little bit that it was a challenge. <laughs> I would imagine uh, a lot of work went into it. What was some of like the criteria? What was like how were these stories researched? Because I know nothing about research and archival work. So yeah. tell me a bit about that. You know, for me, this was a really amazing experience personally. Of I've never had the experience of reading firsthand accounts from the from slavery. Uh, you know, um, and reading sort of in people's own words their experiences. And so this process was really going through people's stories, um, you know, trying to follow clues to ones that might lead to them, you know, having used the BNO. And then it took some insights and in us understanding their vocabulary at the time. So like, for instance, they might talk about going, taking cars, but at that time there were no automobiles. The, a passenger car was a car. Right. And so they said, we got on the car. And so then we're like, oh, they're on a train, right? So um, it, it took a couple insights like that and the DC to Baltimore connection. And then it was really just, you know, looking through a lot of texts. And, and since we did most of it during COVID, we really were limited to texts that were already digitized. So when we say mm -hmm. we have these 27, we haven't really gone to, you know, archives to dig through papers that haven't been digitized. Right. So we think that there's a lot more. And the BNO, you know, railroads was like one of four transportation methods at the time, walking, steamboats, horse carts, or trains. So it was a major form of transportation. And so we think that this is just the tip of the iceberg with the BNO straddling Maryland through this major corridor to get to Pennsylvania, right? So, um, so we didn't select these 27. They really came to us because right. they're the ones we found to have ridden on the BNO or used the BNO on their journeys. So, in in highlighting it, like you know, how do like what was that sort of process and going through some of these these accounts where it's just like all right we want to cover this we want to be authentic in this way but also we may 
not want to highlight, you know, certain areas or what have you. Talk, talk, talk about like that, like what was the thinking that went into like determining how we're going to highlight it, how we're going to tell some of these stories and help tell some of these stories? Well, so when it comes to telling history, it's like, even though you think there's a lot of words in a museum to read, it's really like Twitter of history still. And and we you do <laughs> it is. And, you know, you have to make choices about what you're what what you're presenting and, and what's the history and the narrative. But uh, you want it to be authentic and you want it to be true and accurate. And yeah. so it really you have to start with an intentionality from the very beginning of what your goals are at the end. And so from the very beginning, you know, we had this sort of interdepartment meeting where we all came together once we realized we were going to make this exhibit. And we wrote down what are the sort of goals we want and learning objectives for the public out of this. Yeah. And the number one goal we put down is we want to elevate black voices in this because we didn't, you know, for me and for my colleagues, we didn't want it to be like us, us presenting history. We really wanted it to be authentic and and to elevate black voices in this process. And that didn't mean just on the walls, but in the whole creation process. So, um, you know, we had, we had other objectives, like we wanted every middle schooler in Baltimore to come see it. And, you know, we want um, people to learn about the black travel experience during this time and all these things. So um, one of the first things we did is we formed a an advisory panel um, with community members from uh, Union Baptist Church, we had a member because they're one of our community partners um, from Coppin State University, from the state archives. So we had these sort of black scholars and community members with us um, to, to be a mirror about what we were thinking about doing and also to contribute their thinking and their ideas. So it was really collaborative and really wonderful and, and um, a really great experience to do it with them. Collaboration is, is so yeah. important and um, I think I think a lot of people just like miss that. It's like, this is the way we want to talk about this and no one else is needed. It's like, no, let's let's bring in some people. Let's get some additional insight on it. I I, I start thinking of like, like writer's rooms, like who was in the room when this happened? You know what I mean? It's like, huh, we, yeah, black people don't talk like that. It's like, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and so, so I think, I think that's great to really have that and talk about it being a collaborative process. And I think it's, I think it's just really an awesome opportunity for for folks really to, you know, have a more of a buy in when you're like, this is, you know, something that's within our community, but something that is of our community and with collaboration with those local partners you you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, so I got two more real questions. Um, okay. Talk about um, some of the unique features or, or interactive elements that are included in the exhibition. And um, how do you provide like some of those sort of um, immersive experiences? Like talk about that a bit, because I know that the museum experience has changed a lot um, over the last few years. So, you know, talk about talk about that a bit for us. Well, we're blessed with this wonderful site. So it's like there's a level of authenticity in the first place that the main object is the building itself um, at its end. And so we were able to restore the building to what it would have looked like. So you get this experience of walking back into 1851 to this train station that these freedom seekers would have come through. There's three sections to the exhibit. So maybe I'll just walk through a little Please. bit. The first section sort of talks about what was the role of railroads in the Underground Railroad and sort of the features of that. And then what was the role of the B&O Railroad specifically and all that? Like, for instance, the first president was a Quaker who are historically abolitionists. So from the very beginning, he chose to set policy that the BNO would not use slave labor 
um, to build the railroad or it's some contractors. So, uh, you know, here in Maryland, it, it could have gone either way. And so right. the BNL from the very beginning uh, did not use slave labor. Um, so we get into that. And then um, we also wanted to dig into the terminology of the secret language of the abolitionist yeah. movement and and the the underground railroad i mean um so like harriet tubman was a conductor right and a safe house was a station or whatever so um we created this sort of interactive where people can decode it and understand both the railroad and the underground railroad language especially for kids yeah. and often the railroad isn't mentioned because kids think that the underground railroad was a railroad so they shy away from even discussing the railroad but we kind of embrace it and we're like here's why why they're doing this because it's a secret language um and this new technology was on the tip of everybody's tongue so it was an appropriate secret language and plus um you know the southern railroads were primarily built using slave labor so it would have been totally appropriate for enslaved people to be using railroad words and talking about railroads right yeah um and then we have we have a digital database, which for me is really exciting. It's a big touchscreen um, that was really beautifully designed. That is the database of every freedom seeker we know of that used the BNO Railroad, their stories, their pictures, if we have it, and all the modes of transportation they took on their journeys. So you can see the railroad network, how it fits into their stories, but also who these people are and, and their sort of harrowing journeys. Um, yeah. So as so as this grows and going back to it and one i i love that the the, the coded language and I, and I remiss because i didn't mention that earlier i thought that was really cool and um you know when i was reading about this i was like all right you know a little cover on the, the coded language i i like when there's multiple meanings and dual meanings it's like yeah hurry up telling the conductor it's like yeah you need to get to freedom let's let's do this make this happen but um as far as how do you see it like like growing is that you, you touched on earlier it was um the information for those uh 27 individuals was based on what was digitized so once access is kind of um you know once you're able to kind of dive into the archives a bit further you know is that part of the plan in terms of growth is it kind of we're going to stick with the 27 what, what are your what's your thinking in that area i mean we are going to continue to research this um you know we we want this to be a living thing we want to keep going um and that's why we chose digital so that we can continue to keep it up to date constantly yeah. as we continue this um the the sort of culminating gallery of this exhibit um is this 180 degree video screen around the wall of um two of the stories that that of of freedom seekers that came through mount claire station and they're animated but again, back to our original intention of, of elevating their voices, um, then they're actually narrated by the freedom seekers themselves. And so when you watch it, you're actually hearing their story in their own words. And um, so for instance, Henry Box Brown, after he got, after he took back his freedom, yeah. he um, went on this like magic show tour to like earn a living, but he also like incorporated sort of abolitionist elements into his performance so he began with the song that he sang about his own journey and so we had the tune that it was set to and we had the lyrics but nobody had really put it together so we partnered with howard university's music department um, to sort of resurrect the song and now it's the narration and then the other videos about william and ellen craft which is also a really fascinating story that i think you talked about with chris in a past episode so That's 
you know, on one level, we want to keep it up to date, but on another level, we really also think that it's uh, really meaningful to just hear like one or two really personal stories to get in touch with the history on a sort of human level. Yeah. So we sort of have the macro, but also like the micro human experience. Um, so, yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. Uh, you guys, you guys have done some really, really good stuff. I mean, I am really excited and really looking forward to this, uh, more than I was on the, the, the onset. It's like, I had a certain degree, but now hearing it and getting that, it's like, I'm drooling almost like I'm drooling mentally and from a nerd history perspective. So yeah, definitely looking forward and looking forward to it and sort of this emergent, uh, uh immersive, this sort of incorporating, digital elements and you know collaborative again you know with bringing in uh, howard to like kind of resurrect uh mm -hmm. this this information and have again the uh you know you know people speaking for themselves that is so so awesome actually that's great cool. so here here's the last here's the last thing um this is more kind of that that last pitch almost um if you will um if you had to choose three adjectives to describe um this exhibit which would you choose like the the enticing almost like the pitch man like 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 put it out there like look you know you should come because of x y and z what are those three adjectives that come to mind for you um i would say it's definitely experiential uh very much so i would say it's powerful and i would also say it's it's thoughtful or that's what i would hope visitors would say when they leave i'll say that that's great that's great and thank you um so as we move into this kind of last portion, last moments here, uh, you know, I want to want to hit you with these rapid fire questions. I'd be remiss if I don't do that because you know the people will yell at me. It's like you didn't give John Goldman the rapid fire questions. You give everybody the rapid fire questions, so you got to give it to John Goldman. So, okay. all right, I got five of them for you. Um, one of them is very self serving, and I, I said earlier I meant to pun, so you know, my, maybe it's a movie title. So for you, preferred mode of transportation, plane, trains, or automobiles? I think it, I can, I, I'm going to make it complicated. Uh, I think it depends on the destination. I, uh, I love a good train ride. I really do. It's really romantic and easy and great views. But, you know, I, I hope that, you know, our infrastructure continues to grow and it becomes faster and more convenient to go farther away. Yes. Uh, so... I also love a good car drive too. And I love plane rides. So I, I love them all. I have to say. But I I hate the tra I hate the plane. Everywhere I would I would do trains over planes. I I agree with you on that sentiment around trains. I love trains. Um whenever there's an opportunity to take the train, you but you're right. You know, that uh, I can't fade a train trip to like, hey, I'm gonna go to New Orleans via train. I am not. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Um <laughs> The plane is a is a task for me. I'm six four, so it's just all right. How am I? Like, what I got to break? I got to break a seat to give myself some space. Uh, and I've been riding the Acela train a bit more now, so I've gotten spoiled. I was like, oh, this is just great. I was like, let me just close this, <laughs> close this curtain real quick. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that's that's the first one. Um, for you, have you gotten further in your career based on book smarts or street smarts? You know, I think it's I think it's street smarts. I think it's about how you interact with people and how, uh, at least for being museum work, it's like a, it's about a respect of other cultures and and listening and interpreting. And so, yeah, 
again, you know, Street Smarts keeps when there's only been one person who's picked Book Smarts and one person who was like, can I get a hybrid of the two? But for the most part, everyone has picked picks like Street Smarts because they get it. You can learn on the job, but you you can't like learn how to be good at working <laughs> in this as he's like, yeah. you, you get it. Um, <laughs> so starting tomorrow, there are 25 hours in a day. How do you spend the extra hour? Getting more sleep. That's about right. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. The the bags under my eyes are saying the same thing. It's like, yeah, Rob, get get more sleep. One hour more would be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, as you as you get older, you're supposed to get between seven and nine. And it's like I'm getting six and a half. And I'm supposed to try to act like, you know, I I'm uh I'm, I'm good with words and stuff like that for a conversation. And sometimes I listen to interviews and I was like, wow, I kind of didn't say a lot of things in that one, did I? <laughs> uh name um this is so stupid. Name a four-letter word that uh, starts with the letter B. It's not a trick question. It's just a four-letter word. But... Bird. Good. And we're in bird land. So say you're on brand. I get it. I get it. Uh-huh. If it was a five-letter word, that'd be a whole different thing. And uh, <laughs> it, it was it was a four-letter word with the word F. And it turned this PG show to more of an R-rated <laughs> show because people are people like that word a lot. Buck. Um <laughs> And lastly, um, you know, when you think of Baltimore, right, because this is, you know, Baltimore centric podcast, um, definitely got its roots in Baltimore, being a railroad museum, Baltimore's in the name, it's in Baltimore. So um, when you think of Baltimore, what are the three words that come to mind for you? Um, underappreciated, cultural, and um, cool. I like it. I like it. So with that, that's pretty much it for the um, the 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 interview portion. And I want to again thank you for coming on to this podcast. It's been a lot of fun treat to talk to you. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the listeners where they can check you out, where they can check out being a railroad museum, and get some more information on the exhibit. The floor is yours. Anything you need to know, it's at borail.org. We got information on this history, on the exhibit, on everything we're doing. And we're doing a whole year long series of programming around the Underground Railroad. Um, we're continuing since last September. We're in the middle of it. So check out our website. We have a lot of events. Morgan State Music Department will be coming in May and um, all kinds of things. So check out our calendar of events too. And well, there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Jonathan Goldman, chief curator for the B&O Railroad Museum, for coming on to the podcast and sharing a bit about his work and his career. And for Jonathan Goldman, I'm Rob Lee, saying that there's art and culture in and around Baltimore. You've just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.